Pepper. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Have you ever wondered what thoughts are? Thoughts. It's kind of an amorphous thing. You can't touch them. You can't actually feel them. And yet your thoughts have feeling to them. Thoughts are very strange, aren't they? Very strange indeed. And today on Viewpoint, we're going to be dealing with our thoughts. We're going to be dealing with how our thoughts tyrannize us, even terrify us, trouble us. And quite frankly, uh, we're going to be seeing how uh, this happens as our special guest joins us. And he's trying to call me in, uh, call in right now, and he can't make connections. So let me give you a shot here. Is this Steve Arterburn? It doesn't go through. All right. Let me give you a, the number again. Okay. It is 804-754-1988. Let me try it again. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Such is live broadcasting, my friends, and thank you for your patience. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction. Talk that transforms, and we are now... Uh, receiving our divinely sponsored guest here, Stephen Arterburn, who is joining us uh, to talk about our thoughts. In fact, his book is called Every Believer's Thought Life, and uh, that we should be defeating destructive mental patterns to gain victory over temptation. So let me ask you a question out there, my friends. Do you have temptations? What are they? We're told that temptations are hidden snares that often take us unawares. Why is it that our thoughts are able to take us unawares? Do we not have any control over our thoughts? The Bible says, in fact, God himself says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. And yet so often we try to elevate our own thoughts as co-equal with God, just like Satan did in the Mount of God. And what he tried to do to get Eve to do exactly the same thing, and then Adam. It seems like his efforts never seem to fail. How is it that our thoughts are so captive to the enemy of our souls? How is it that our thoughts seem so captive to our own flesh? How is it that our thoughts seem so captive to the spirit of the world? How in the world can we take our thoughts captive? How can we redeem our words, our thoughts. That's what we want to talk about here today on Viewpoint. Redeeming our imaginations, because the Apostle Paul said that the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or carnal, but mighty through God to the bringing down of strongholds. And we're supposed to cast down all of our imaginations, and that word imaginations means reasonings and thoughts casting down all of our reasoning and thoughts and bringing them into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Does that sound like just a theory? Does that sound like just an idea that sounds good, or is it even possible? Are you tyrannized by your thoughts? Today on Viewpoint, I trust that this program is going to be 
Well, every man's blessing, every woman's opportunity to take control over things that actually tyrannize us in private. Our special guest today, as I indicated, Steve Arterburn. He's joined us many times before on this program. Steve, it's been 28 years on the program here, and here you come again. Here I am, and uh, I hope and believe I've got something that could help any person with thought life. Well, how is it possible, seeing that you are there in California, I thought that Californians' thoughts were all governed by Governor Newsom uh, there in Sacramento (laughs) and that there was no possibility of escaping uh, the spirit of the world? Fortunately, uh, that doesn't have to be true and isn't true. And, you know, the Bible says so much about our thought life and and where the temptation comes from that, that steers our thoughts off, and it doesn't come from out there. It comes from within. And we have this brain that I think everybody agrees is just stunning in what it can do. Well, some people wonder if, they, you wonder if some people even have a brain. Uh, well, that's true. When you look now at the thoughts is, and the words that come out of their mouth, you wonder if they even have a brain. But sometimes uh, if God were to look at us, he would wonder, do these people even have a brain? The way we, so. the way you think, the way you talk. Yes, and you know, um, there's a different kind of thought problem too. Jeremiah six fourteen, one of my favorite verses, where he said, "From prophets to priests, uh, they're all uh, inappropriate because they're they're putting superficial treatment on my people's mortal wounds." Now that's a theme mm-hmm. that a lot of times we're just trying to do something on the surface. When what we really ought to do is try to find the source of that within our soul and resolve that and heal that and then take it completely captive where whatever was working against us now is one of our greatest tools to minister to other for Jesus. So how do you take something captive then that you can't feel, you can't touch, and uh, the thought came through your mind uh, you didn't even know it was on its way, and it came there anyway. How do you gain control over that? Well, first of all, you know, you need to start with the foundation every day that's probably different for most people. Like I have a little five-point uh, five thing I say, uh, you know, God, not me, so it's about God, God with me, others before me, others beside me, and then me, not me. Now, that's how I start. And then I I read the Scripture. My wife and I both, she did the one-year Bible for women. I did the one-year Bible for men. We start with God's truth. Now we're off to a good foundation, especially if we're reading not to get through it, but for it to get through us. All right, suppose us. that you're reading that, uh, as yeah. you said. And then on the side, in private, uh, you're uh, allowing yourself to uh, sneak a few peeks at porn. Okay. So then you do, you, if you want to stop that, you turn something negative into something that God wants. What does God want? He wants us to pray without ceasing. So you might say, well, Lord, I think you see that I'm tempted here, and now I want you to give me the power to do what I need to do to stop this. Or if you're always mumbling about your spouse or something, turn that into a prayer. When you want to say, oh, I can't believe she 
You say, God, you know I can't believe that she did that, and I want to be a redemptive factor in her life. So now I've shifted from negative right over to God, because if it's not about God and God's love, then what is your thought life for? If you're reading God's Word, but you allow yourself to drift, then that's probably not going to do much in your life when you read it. You have to live it. Well, that's the reason why when I grew up in a pastor's home, uh, my teenage years, you know, we always had this plan every year, read the Bible through in a year, three chapters a day, five on Sunday, and you'll get through the Bible in a year. But what I found is it didn't really connect much with my thoughts. And by the time I was through chapter one or two, I was already half asleep. Well, we'll we'll talk more about that when we get back from this break. We probably need a little break to consider that. We'll be right back, friends, after this. Steve Arterburn, our special guest. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. We're dealing with our thoughts today, the tyranny of our thoughts, the tyranny that goes into our minds and how to redeem our imaginations, our reasonings and thoughts. And uh, it seems like a, such a strange thing. We all take uh, for granted the idea that we think. Thoughts are just so normative. The whole concept of thinking is so normative to the human experience that we don't really stop to think about what thoughts really are. And, uh, Steve, are, are you able to give us some insight, uh, others than some uh, technological jargon, to help us to understand what thoughts really are? Well, thoughts are the fabric of a cum- cumulative experience of life that has you either free, creative, attuned with God, or hooked into some negative pattern. My mom, 96 years old almost, is hooked into not porn, but worry. She's one of the finest women, finest Christian women ever, but she's gotten into this worry Mm -hmm. pattern. And so her thoughts are so negative when it comes to what somebody else is doing, like my brother's health or something like that. And I just, nothing I say ever helps her to worry less. So that's how she's kind of fit into this this behavioral pattern, and it's hard for a 96-year-old person to change. All right, but so our 16, thoughts actually drive our behavior then? Well, they drive our feelings mm-hmm. and our behavior. And so if I'm not thinking about how jealous I am of that guy's car, I'm probably not going to steal it. And so if I'm happy for him that he has a car and maybe I'd like to ride in it, then that's a different way of thinking. But you need, one of the things we talk about here is this old uh, preacher, Chalmers, back in the 1700s, had this title for a sermon that became very popular, The Expulsive Power of a Higher Affection. And then uh, Piper wrote about this too, and he said he called it the superior pleasure. 
In other words, if you want to stop something negative, you better have something better that you're going for rather than just trying to stop something that's negative. And so he said, here's the power. It's asking God because God is your higher affection or your superior pleasure. And you have to want God more than you want to indulge yourself in whatever thought comes up. Now, there's substantive thoughts such as uh, my gender uh, is fluid. And where does that come from? If I were to talk to some kids and say that I read on the Internet that pink elephants were running all over Baltimore, they'd say, oh, you can't trust everything on the Internet. But it's exactly what they're doing when it comes to sexuality, gender, mm-hmm. things of that nature. It's just where that's where it came from. And if they've got peers that are telling them these things, that's where it came from. And even the most liberal voices, are starting to say we've gone too far. Well, not only liberal voices, but think of this. Just this week, an announcement came forth from the famous atheist Richard Dawkins uh, agreeing that there is no such thing as anything other than male and female sexes. Men and women, an atheist like Richard Dawkins has now come out to embrace something that was obvious. Well, I got to tell you, I, I was in a debate with Richard. He's a very nice man in, in what he does. If he is saying that, I'm telling you, he, it is not easy for him to go against the crowd. I have this term called toxic tribal affinity. People would <laughs> rather, they would rather to be a member of the tribe, they'd rather tell people stuff that they know is absolutely not true because they don't want to be an outcast. And it's one of the other reasons that we have these kind of thoughts running rampant. And uh, Richard is one of the people that finally, he's not a stupid man at all. He's just an atheist. Finally saying, this is not right. <laughs> you got to have male. you got to have female. Yeah, because it's so obvious. And uh, why are we then so tempted? Uh, is it just uh, following the Pied Piper? Is it our desire so much to be loved, to be wanted, to be accepted that we're willing to actually believe and entertain thoughts that are so radically contrary to reality? Well, I think just like in the garden, even though it was so wonderful and beautiful, there was still temptation there. And what did Satan use? He used this desire to have more than God intends us to have. He said, you know, look, he's keeping this from you. You can you can know stuff, and um, and so if you follow me, you're going to be smarter, brighter, all that kind of stuff. And I think that still happens today, and that's what Satan uses. Uh, one of the things that he uses best, I think, is yeah, exactly. lust and sexuality, gender, things like that. All right, here's one of the things that uh, really grabbed me as I was considering your joining us here today on Viewpoint to talk about our thoughts. Our words are actually the fruit of our thoughts, aren't they? That's correct. Yep. There, there would be no words unless there were thoughts that gendered them, that gave rise to them, and that directed them. Yes. All right. Um, so yeah. then you've got okay. Jesus saying, by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. So what he's really saying is, by your thoughts, you should be justified, and by your thoughts, you should be condemned. 
That is right. a powerful statement. It really is. When I was working, uh, I, you know, I started this thing called Women of Faith, and Lucy Swindoll was one of the great speakers. And we were all talking about what, what's the greatest invention of all time, and she was the one that said the alphabet, and everybody agreed. It's also the one that gives legs to the thought, so you're not just thinking it in some strange way, but you're nailing it down when it's a negative and also when it's a godly thought. And so we want to, to break the habit of the negative by having words that are God's word. I mean, you know, if it's God's word, it's going to have power. A lot of people, though, they, they misread it. Like uh, John 8, 31, 32 doesn't really say the truth will set you free. Like you could memorize his scripture and you'd be free. It says, if you follow my teaching, right. you're truly my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth. You have to live it. And Actually, it doesn't even say the truth will set you free. It says the truth will make you free. Oh, In other right. words, is right. it is a process that as we are thinking God's thoughts after him, we're walking in God's ways after him, that the truth is being made manifest in and through our lives. And the more that happens, the greater we are free in Christ. That is true. Let me go back to this thing where you're talking about pornography. And and this Chalmers talking about this higher affection. When men come to our Every Man's Battle workshop, they're hooked on lust, pornography, maybe a, another woman. And before they leave, it's a weekend experience, uh-huh. they do have a higher affection. Connection with God, intimacy with their wife, and a brotherhood of support from other men. All of that is so much, it feels so much better, and you feel better about yourself than lust and looking at a dirty picture. All right, and but so, that doesn't do any good, though, if you're... Uh, uh daily opening your computer and uh, responding to the temptation of the little sidebars and so on that are designed there to attract uh, a man's uh, carnal nature. Yes, so if you found that, like I did, that trying harder just makes trying harder, then you need to get help first. (laughs) Then when you open that computer up, now if you're tempted, you've got a buddy to call a savior to call on, and you can beat that thing. You can understand and you can have victory over what destroyed your entire day. You know, we hear a lot of people talk about climate control. And to a, <laughs> <laughs> to a certain extent, uh, our thought life is defined by the climate that we expose ourselves to. We're not talking yes. about the the climate as we normally think of it. We're talking about the moral and spiritual climate. Right. Uh, I once had a a, a fella, a, a very dear Christian man. Uh, he had admitted to me earlier that he had been really seriously uh, tyrannized by pornography. One day, he came to me with his laptop, and he said, Will you please hold this for me until I ask for it back? I cannot deal with this anymore. Yeah. What do you say to that? Well, there was something he needed to do other than just give you the laptop, because stopping something is not the goal. It's starting something so much better and more mm. godly. That's our goal. In other words, somebody that stops drinking, well, that's fine, but what you really want to do is start building your character. 
mm-hmm. because that drinking experience, whatever how long you were addicted or whatever, that that has drained you of character. People say I was delivered from the the love of alcohol. Well, now were your children delivered from the resentment they had of you drinking? Was your spouse? Were they instantly delivered from it? No. And so they better see you working to make it right with them and God and others. That's what is part of, but a big part, of building character. We need something better to replace whatever it was that was ungodly and Satan used against it. And so I had a call just a couple of weeks ago from a contractor. And uh, he wanted to, he said, Chuck, I want you to be the first one to know. I have received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior a month ago. And he said, everything has changed. I no longer Mm. desire uh, these certain things, whether it be alcohol, whether it be porn, whether it be all of these things. He was articulating it all. And I thought, wow, the Holy Spirit really has gotten a hold of this man. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to have his challenges because the enemy comes back in and tries to hit you over the head once you think you have a victory. But I saw a man who was walking not in a theoretical victory, but in a real victory over his thought life. Yeah, and and here's the thing. I, if that was me, I would not trust that that would be all I needed to do. Here's and what he I doesn't think that. Okay, here's what I would say. Thank you, God, for removing this, this uh, just compulsive desire for this stuff so that I can more easily learn your word, connect with other people, and make things right while I was involved in all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's a it's a great gift from God that, that he did not uh, want to drink again or whatever he was doing, but he needs to use that gift mm-hmm. to study and become uh, acquainted with what is godly character, what does right. God expect of me, and then everybody wins. That's true, which reminds me of a phrase, nature abhors a vacuum. And uh, Jesus gave a parable uh, talking about this very issue when he said, look, if you if you get rid of all the demons in your house Mm -hmm. and you don't replace them with God's uh, thoughts, God's ideas, God's plan, his purpose and so on, seven worse ones are going to come in and take over your life. And unfortunately, I think that's what happens with so many people uh, who supposedly come to Christ and uh, uh, maybe they're celebrated, but they're not discipled. They're not brought to a reality of the warfare that we're really in. Right. When people, when I work with people in a workshop and they leave, I tell them this, Satan is not happy about what you did here, and he's going to use some people that love you to get you off track, and they don't even know they're doing it. That's right. Somebody is is leading you down another path, and they say they care about you. You say to them, hey, the guy that ran that thing told us that Satan was going to use some people in our (laughs) lives. I think if Satan uses you, you're like a demon. What does that feel like? So anyway, it's, it's a humorous way of helping them acknowledge that not everybody is going to be excited about the changes that they've made, and we need to be aware of that. You know, so often I think when we talk about something like this, we're talking about escaping the tyranny of our thoughts and so on. 
uh, people are thinking about uh, behaviorism. They're thinking yeah. about uh, the traditional psychological ideas of just uh, we're, we're just going to replace this. And uh, the real problem is not that we have evil thoughts. It's just that we need to have good thoughts. Well, that's not quite true because no, the evil thoughts are coming from that's... an evil heart. Right, right. And, and so you have to deal with that, that deeper place, if you're really going to have true freedom. You know, if you were uh, abused by a parent, I mean, that's just this thing that can shrink a heart or harden a heart. If you're not dealing with that heart issue, then life is just going to be one tough thing after mm-hmm. another. But I do believe that there is healing available. I wrote the book, Healing is a Choice. We can choose to experience God's healing through his truth and his people right. that are God awesome. All right, friends, the book, Every Believer's Thought Life, $24 for this hardbound book. It's on our website, saveus.org. It'll change your life. We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Well, it's a delight to be able to uh, join with you, my friends, as always here, almost 28 years on the air, confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. You see, it's not just a matter of confronting ideas about conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat, these kinds of things. No, the deeper issues from God's viewpoint has to do with our hearts. The heart of the matter is always the heart. Always the heart. So it's out of the heart that come, and and our minds that that come the emotions and the beliefs, the cravings, the thoughts, and a person's heart and mind combine to make us who we are. But here's the other aspect of it. The Lord searches every heart and understands all of our desires and thoughts. Now, if we really, really believe that on an ongoing basis, Steve Atterburn, would we continue to entertain some of the thoughts that we have? Well, I want to, I'd like to say uh, we wouldn't, but we need to believe it enough to work on things that aren't getting better. So it needs change. Yeah. And, you know, some people have not had trauma. They haven't had horrible experiences and things. And But others have. And we never want them to feel shame because it all doesn't just fall together easily Mm -hmm. like it might for somebody else. We want to help them 
uh, find that path. You know, Jeremiah 6.16 says, stop at the crossroads, look around, search for the old godly path, walk in its steps, and you'll find peace for your soul. Well, what is that step? I think the first step is always humility and surrender to God. Right. And if we don't do that, and that surrender, I believe, says, God, my my journey, my path may not be tidy like some other people. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to become a godly man or godly woman. And that's hard to do when you're seeing somebody else, just everything seems to be so easy. Well, they maybe haven't been through what you've been through. Well, that's true, and that's why you've written the book, Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. And uh, this is a $26 hardbound book, friends. It's yours for $24 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 per postage and handling. Now, we want to come back to, I'd like to take us back to a subject that is so pervasive, and we've brought it up twice already during this program, but because it is so pervasive, I think we need to focus on it again. And that is, if you walk down the street, if a man walks down the street, he is going to see some level of porn, soft porn, encounter him about every two minutes. About every two minutes, maybe more often than that. And everything is going to cause his gaze to be diverted to that particular object, a female object, a female person. And uh, I don't know, I can't get inside a woman's mind and heart, but obviously there's something there as well because the latest figures that I have are that within the Christian community, we're talking just about the Christian community, about 70% of Christian professing Christian men purposely engage in pornography at least every month. And well, at least 40% of professing Christian women do the same. What say you? Right. Well, I say that the good guys and women on Sunday morning, if all the people that had looked at pornography that week had looked at their Bible instead, we might see the church take on a new fire in this culture. Sadly, more men in church have looked at pornography than their Bible. Isn't that tragic? Well, it's absolutely true, because the majority of men won't even look at their Bibles. They refuse to read. Right. Oh, but they sure look at their screens. Yes, that's right. And, you know, we had a pastor that we worked with who uh, went, he gave his computer to his tech guy to, to show the outline of his sermon. And the first thing that comes up was a pornography piece, a piece of pornography he'd been looking at in his office before the sermon. But that guy come humiliated. You know, if you're oh, not humble, I guess so. you get humiliated. Everything was different. Well, that was that was just that as bad as uh, uh, Biden's computer. <laughs> oh, or worse? No, not quite. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, but but here's here's the thing. If a woman is not the problem, if a man is full of lust, and a man is not the problem, if the woman is, because there are a lot of people 
that see out of the corner of their eye, and and they just don't need to look at that. There's no need. They have resolution. But if you are, I would just say this. If you have to look at that, there's some unmet need there. And if you could just talk to somebody about what that might be, then maybe you could get some of the fuel of the lust fire put out and, and out of your system. That's what I'm trying to do with this book is is to give you tools that you've never had before that will give you victory. And I want to say this. I've written or co-authored 130 books started in 1984. You must, wait a minute, wait, you must be about uh, five years younger than Methuselah. I am. That is, that is correct. I feel right. it someday. <laughs> but, but anyway, this book is either the best or third best or second best. And Marcus Brotherton, my uh, co-author, he's a New York Times best-selling author. And, and if you want a book that won't just talk about something, but give you tools. This this is the book for you, and it will change your. Because people said, "Why did you do something on thought life?" I said, "Well, because uh, Marcus and I, the last book we wrote two years ago was book of the year. We said, what do we want to do? Let's do something that impacts every person in every way, and that's your thought life. We mm-hmm. get that right. We get eternity right. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, one of the passages that uh, when I was growing up. Uh, my mother had each one of us kids, five kids, uh, memorized, was Philippians 4, 8. And uh, I have remembered it, obviously, to this day. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things uh, are true, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, some translations right. use a few different words there, but uh, this is talking about our thoughts. This is what God uh, is instructing us. If we really want to have victory, we have to fill our minds and purpose that our thought life is going to follow this trajectory, not this other one that is full of the world and its ways. Right. And if you think that you have the power to change that, when what you really have is an extreme limitation, and you're not asking the Lord to fill you with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and give you the courage to go connect with some people that have this have the, this thing under control and they're free, then, then you're probably not going to do too well. And I believe that if we aren't connected in, with other men, with men in groups and Bible studies and things, we're not connected like that outside of just your marriage. You're so vulnerable Mm-hmm. To that time when it all, you know, you're angry or whatever, and it just all falls apart, and there you are being tempted by Satan. So we want to protect ourselves, and we want to preserve the character that we have. But it really does. It begins with this. You can be aware you have a problem. You can want it to be better. But if you don't have willingness to do some things that other people aren't doing, it's not going to go well. You know, Outback Steakhouse, the, these onion blossoms, deep-fried onion blossoms, kill people all the time, and they've got defibrillators to bring them back, and they can't, <laughs> you know, you can't save everybody, and rather than take them out front door, they take them out back. That's why it's called Outback Steakhouse. If you want to live and walk out the front door, you better do without some things that other people think okay. All right, now isn't this what the Bible means when it says flee temptation? 
Don't dance with it, but flee it. No, no. And and what an arrogant thing when the Bible says flee it. God says get get out of there, and you're thinking I got this under control. Yeah. No, you don't. (laughs) It's going to control you. The same is true with alcohol. The same is true with drugs. The same is true with fornication, adultery. Every uh, sin of the flesh is driven by our thought life. You know, one of the things that uh, uh, I I never used to like Psalm 119 uh, because it was the longest chapter in the Bible. And for those of us who were trying to read the Bible through uh, three chapters a day and five on Sunday uh, in a year, uh, you didn't want to hit Psalm 119 because that was going to slow you down a lot. 176 verses. But I have come, it has become one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. And one of the things about Psalm 119 is talking about the psalmist love for God, the thoughts of God, the ways of God. And he uses these uh, two words uh, that are like little puppy dogs that run through Psalm 119. They are delight and meditate, delight and meditate. Delight in the word and meditate in the word. And they always go together. Delight and meditate, delight and meditate. That, I think, is the ultimate resolution to enable us to gain dominion over the tyranny of our thoughts. Well, it sure is. And and my writing partner I used to have who died a couple of years ago, Dave Stoop, he really believed, you know, when people were saying, don't meditate, it's like an Eastern thing. Well, that doesn't have to be that, and the Bible talks about meditation. It's not that kind but of meditation. Said, yeah, exactly. And he, he really believed, and he was a great psychologist, Christian psychologist, that meditation was a healer, and it was also a strength builder. It's kind of like, you know, why wouldn't you take some vitamins if you knew they were going to help you? Meditation is so rarely used by people But that is where you can find a a way to rewire your brain when you know the concepts and the truth behind the words of the verse. And we're not talking about mindfulness. We're not talking about mindfulness. That's a whole different ballgame. Friends, the book, Uh Every Believer's Thought Life, Stephen Otterburn, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation on our website. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a hard longing for greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, we're talking with Stephen Arterburn with his book, Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. Uh, $26 book, 
hardbound book, yours for $24, on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org, you can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, and so on. All right. Uh, we there, there are three things that uh, the Apostle Paul, who I believe happens to be the writer of the book of Hebrews, somebody might argue about that, but uh, it seems to me to have a lot of the earmarks of his writing style. Hebrews 12, one of my favorite passages, uh, possibly because I love track and field. He said that we must lay aside every weight and the thing that does so easily beset us, and we must run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I like the way you laid this out, Steve. Uh, First of all, if we want to gain dominion, over the tyranny of our ungodly thoughts and the temptations that come upon us, we first have to get rid of all those weights that do so easily beset us. You call them hindrances. What do they look right. like? Well, one, they're the the relationships that aren't healthy for you, that drag you down. That would be a big one. Like what? Second, well, like somebody that... Uh, is saying here, take this this drug. It it really isn't that bad, you know. And then that destroys brain cells and all that, and that affects your your thought life. So people that are tempting you, we we say in in the recovery groups, you have to change playmates and playgrounds if you're going to live this godly life mm-hmm. that you've just agreed to live. So that's one. The other thing is your your house needs to be safe. If you've got Movies coming in, books, uh, magazines laying around, things like that. That is a problem. Mm-hmm. And um, and here's something that I believe has caused so many divorces. Facebook, where you connect with the old high school uh, sweetheart or whatever. And so these are all hindrances. And here's mm-hmm. a big one. Too busy to focus on the godly things in life. Uh-huh. That is a huge hindrance to building godly character. So we've got to clean up the environment around us, make it safe, and then, I mean, you can't run a race either with the stuff, like about an extra 100 pounds on you, and you don't want to be running it when you've got uh, all sorts of obstacles in front of you that you've got to dodge. So So you've got a clean house to to have a clean house. You got to clean house and clean the road both. All right. The driveway. The both. second thing is we need to run with patience, and uh, some call that perseverance. In other words, right. as uh, was said famously, never give up. In other words, we're right. pressing toward the mark. This is not a lollygagging kind of things. This is something that engages our entire being, doesn't it? Yes, and you know the Bible's so clear that sometimes the goal is just to get through it, persevere. Those that persevere receive the crown of life. And so we're not sometimes looking for some big, huge celebration, but it's just getting through it is, is the goal because life is so hard and difficult. All right. And then finally, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author of the finish of our faith. But how do you do that? What does that really mean? We used to sing a song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full at his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's a great song, 
it's truth in it, but it has to be made tangible by what we really do and choose to do. Well, when I am uh, tempted, I do literally turn my eyes to Jesus. I have a vision. By the way, are you conf- are you making a confession today? You said when <laughs> well, I'm tempted, so you are tempted, right? Oh my goodness! And I fall into temptation because it's a it's a fallen world. We all, yeah. everybody is sin. The Bible says, yeah. and I'm I'm no different. And my wife would verify. <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't put her on the witness stand. Right. Yeah. So so you 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 can do all the things you've been doing and continue to research and find that they fail, or you literally can look to Christ. And I have an image of him just in a shining silver white robe and and this light behind him. And when I flash that up in front of me. Then I start to think about how did this man sacrifice? How did he love? How did this God incarnate help me do what I could never do? He saved my soul. And people that are living in shame, I mean, Jesus did a lot and went through a lot, so you didn't have to do that. And if you're doing something shameful, you can have the Holy Spirit empower you to get out of that. And here's the amazing thing. Just like Satan uses other people to get you off track, Jesus uses other people to help you stay on track. That's true. But you've got to be uh, dwelling in his word faithfully every day. And if you're not doing that, you actually are signing a prescription for your, uh, shall we say, your thought life death knell. Uh, You are going to succumb to the ways of the world if you're not purposing to walk in the ways of the Lord and in your thought life. And that brings up two words. We've already mentioned one of them, and that is our imaginations. Uh, that word is used in the book of Second uh, Corinthians uh, that we should bring every one of our thoughts captive. Uh, and it talks about uh, our imaginations, the reasonings and thoughts of our minds and hearts. Uh, how do we bring those captive Well, I I think it's different for every person. But, you know, there is absolutely a very, very powerful thing when you are struggling and you get on your knees and you say, Lord, I think I've been taking back some things that I thought I had surrendered. Mm. I need your help. And then you do what I really do believe is it separates the men from the boys, women from the girls, and that is... You call or you go somewhere and you talk to somebody that can help you get through this very, very tough time. And it could be anything um, from, you know, just a simple little eating something that's not appropriate to you're in the hospital, you're in pain, and you just wonder, where is God? You need somebody to be there with you to get through that when it's so bad you're starting to question whether or not God is there for you. Mm, okay. Now, the other word is fantasy. Mm, yeah. This is a big yeah. one. Uh, because fantasies are a certain kind of imagination, aren't they? Right. And uh, we can conjure up all kinds of things in our minds uh, and in our hearts. Actually, they come out of our hearts. The right. Bible says they do. They don't just yeah. come out of our minds. They come out of our hearts and what we think 
is a reflection of what's inside in our hearts. So there are all kinds of fantasies that people can have. Some people might have a fantasy that, uh, like the woman that said she wanted to sell more body parts uh, so she could drive a Lamborghini. Uh, oh, my goodness. That's yeah, a pretty right. weird uh, fantasy, but that's what she said. Uh, yeah. But most fantasies revolve around uh, adultery, fornication, uh, various kinds of sexual uh, behavior, aberrations, and so on, don't they? Well, they do, and this isn't an area of struggle for me, but it is for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And and it, it, you, if you're hearing this, then it's an indicator that, well, you might be normal according to world standards, but it isn't the standard that God calls you to. Mm-hmm. And it is a result of all this sludge down in there coming up and you wanting a better, different life, but it's not better, it's just sorry. And you feel horrible about yourself eventually when you act on the fantasy. And let me just say to all the wonderful Christian people that if you think you're hoping in the Lord, you need to see if that is just wishful thinking or a different kind of fantasy, because hope has a resume. Mm -hmm. And you want to be sure that you're hoping with substance, not just some fantasy, dream, or wishing. And because God wants us to have hope, real hope, not some dream that may never come true. Well, that's why that uh, famous song that we used to sing a lot uh, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. When we do his good will, notice it's not fantasy, when we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Obey. The problem, Steve, is that the word obey is deemed to be a four-letter word in the church today, and I have had many, many, many pastors and parachurch leaders on this program in the last eight years who have said it's the most hated word in the church. What well, makes what say you? I hated you? two words. I hated two words when I was growing up. I had a weight problem. I hated obese and obey, <laughs> and they fed into each other. And so uh, I know this struggle. But look, <sighs> obey, okay? And when you can't obey, Let's look at why maybe not, and let's get some help for that rather than thinking, well, I'm just going to let this slide. But it's obedience that provides that discipline that builds the character, and now you're starting to act and look and do the things that Jesus did. And there's where the victory is, when people start seeing Jesus in you, rather than what we hear all the time. That guy isn't even a believer, and he's more like Jesus than this other guy. That's not what we want to have at Isn't that amazing? Well, you know, it brings us back to that uh, wonderful passage describing the Word of God. For the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than even a two-edged sword, and we might just say a surgeon's scalpel, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and is a discerner of even the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's why we need to be in the Word every day, isn't it? Because it's designed to do surgery on our... 
minds, our hearts, and our thoughts. And Back to the Bible has done the research. You need to engage in the Bible at least four out of seven days for it to have an impact. You know, I'm a Bible guy, and my wife and I, we've done 12 different Bible projects together. Uh, the Life Recovery Bible just sold its four millionth Bible. It's what Prison Fellowship gives to all any prisoner that wants one. It's the Pew Bible with the Salvation Army. And the reason that I think it's so popular is because all of those Bible scholars that did the notes also admitted to having a problem and sought help and recovery from it. So they speak their language. Mm. And then once they speak the language of a fellow struggler, then you see how the verse really applies. If you're not in the Word, get in the Word and get the Word in you. I know that sounds trite, but hey, remember it and do it. You will not lose having the thought and the love of God inside of I want to go back as we wrap up to a period of time when I also was in California. I went to college in California, taught public school for nine years in California, went to law school in California, and practiced law in California for 20 years. And uh, during the period of time when I took the first California bar exam, which, by the way, people understand it to be the most difficult bar exam in the country, and I failed it. Well, during the interim between that and the second bar exam, the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart and mind. And I made a vow to the Lord. And here was the vow. From this time forward, every day without fail, no matter what, I will spend quality time in your word every day. You know what, Steve? I have done that. Sick or well, on vacation, busy, in trial, no matter what, it didn't matter. And God began to do something from the inside out that I had tried for years to do from the outside in. Thanks for joining us here, Stephen. You're a blessing, my friend. I can't wait to do it again. All right. Again, the book, friends, $24, Every Believer's Thought Life, on our website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Remember, God wants us to get dominion over our thoughts so that his thoughts will be our thoughts. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.